Today's message is, is entitled, Go, the Pathway to Purpose, and now we're entering into salvation. Last week, I began to discuss with you the vision that God has given me for this ministry, and it's called the Pathway to Purpose. So if this is the church that God has sent you to, and I am the pastor, and Jim is the pastor, and other ministers and elders, we have an assignment to make sure you get from where you are to where God has you to be. It's called the Pathway to Purpose, and this Pathway to Purpose is on the floor right now. <laughs> this pathway to purpose has seven steps, uh, and those seven steps are these. Number one, salvation. Got to receive salvation. That's the pathway to purpose. So God is expecting me, all right, and the teachers here that to teach you about salvation. That's step number one, because we can't even uh, enter into the kingdom of God without salvation. We can't go to the, be in the family of God without salvation. Number two, baptisms. Everyone needs to be baptized. Number three, partnership. So a lot of churches call it membership, but we are going to call it partnership. Because you can have a membership to something, but never go. Gyms, Blockbuster, Far more, I'm going way back, huh? <laughs> Memberships really don't mean anything if you don't get involved or go with them. But partnership is a whole other word. Partnership means I have been called to partner with you. I have responsibilities here. I have expectations of you and you have expectations of me. So that is a partnership. So, so in order to come into fellowship or partnership with this ministry, number one, you've got to be saved. Number two, it's important that you be baptized. And number three, the greatest part of becoming a part of this church is God sent you here. Amen. I don't recruit. I don't recruit. God sent you here. And if God sent you, that means he planted you so that you will grow more like Christ and then be a servant to him as well. Number four, there'll be life and rest training. So love, identity, faith, and eternal purpose, all these new things we receive from Christ when we're born again. And then we'll learn how to live the biblical life, follow Jesus Christ through revelation, what he says, empowerment, what our faith, how our faith responds to what he says. Then he'll give us strategies all throughout the word, different ways to accomplish things that always lead to triumph. The next step is discipleship. People need to be discipled. That is the way that the gospel spread. You need to be discipled. You need someone to come beside you, a, a, a friend, a partner, a disciple to teach you the ways of God. The next thing, the next step, step six, will be spiritual gifts and service. We began training spiritual gifts last Wednesday night. When you miss Wednesdays, you miss so much. I love seeing your faces on Sunday, but I've only got a certain amount of time to work with you. If you work second shift, God bless you. We'll pray you off that shift, all right? But otherwise, please come on Wednesday so I can keep training and equipping you for the work of God that he's given you. He didn't save you just to spare you from hell. He saved you so that you might help others and show them the way to Jesus Christ as well, okay? And so I only have a certain amount of time to teach and equip you in those ways. And Wednesdays is not a throwaway night. 
Wednesdays is not a night, I'll just go. No, it's a night where I can come and grow. We've got to stop giving so much time to the world, right, and give that time to the Lord. Amen? All right. And then number seven, the last step is discipling others. So if this church were a factory, what we would produce would be disciples, right? Go and make disciples. So this is the pathway to purpose. And my desire for all of you that God has called to partner in this ministry is that at the conclusion of your training, that I will be able to, let's say someone gives their life to the Lord today. I will be able to say, hey, Johnny just gave his life to the Lord today. Here's Peter. Peter, raise your hand for me. I should be able to take Johnny to Peter and say, Peter, can you please disciple this brother? Can, can you help him? Can you teach him to pray? Can you work with him? Every single one of you, if you're a member or a partner of this church, I want to get you to the point where I can hand someone off to you and you can disciple them. Amen? That is what church is for. It's not just to come sing songs and hear a message and then go live in sin again. It's so that we might be trained and equipped to do the work of the Lord forever. Amen? So step one is salvation. Church, can you say salvation? salvation? So on the pathway to purpose, the first step is salvation. For Jesus said that you must be born again. We can see there's a lot of evil going on in this world. And sometimes we say, God, where is the justice? We know that one of the reasons the stock market is the way it is is just because of greedy people. All right? There's just a lot of evil going on in corporations and government. And we're like, God, where are you? Gas prices are skyrocketing. And, and, and it's being manipulated. It's being manipulated. There's plenty of oil out there. Don't let them fool you. It's all a big manipulation. So we're saying, okay, God, where is the justice? How are people getting away with murder? How are people breaking into homes and, and, and hurting the elderly? And there's just no justice. God, where are you? This is the Bible verse that God woke me up with today. The first verse that he put on my mind as we talk about salvation and learning about where is God's justice. Proverbs verse, I'm sorry, chapter 15, verse 3 says this. The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. Church, can you say this with me? He is aware. He's aware. He sees it all. And you might be saying, well, God, when are you going to do something about it? When are you going to step in? When are they going to get their just reward for robbing the people, for stealing, for killing, for all of this evil in the world? Psalms chapter 1, verses 5 through 6 tell us this. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Remember, I said that uh, it's, it's our goal here and really should be the goal of every church to put people on a pathway to purpose. See, we were lost, right? We were deep in sin. We were headed for eternal destruction. We were headed for hell. But God saved us. And put our feet on a solid rock, which is Jesus Christ. But now the people need to know which way to go. What is my pathway? The first step is salvation. But we have to know that God is watching the path of both the evil and the godly. 
Let's go to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Because there will be a great cry of mercy from the lost. I think some of us need to be very happy that God is being patient right now and that his judgment has not hit the earth. I think some of us need to be very happy that God has not allowed the breath in our body to leave nor our hearts to stop beating because some of us are not ready to meet God. We're just not ready, and we know we're not ready. So he's merciful right now, and there will be a great cry for mercy one day. But listen to this parable that Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. Think about the CEOs out there right now making millions and millions and millions of dollars while the, 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 the workers at the bottom are barely scraping by, okay? And, and it says this, verse 20, at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus. What was his name? Lazarus, who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there, longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died. We all die. Unless God comes back before our natural death happens, we all die. Okay? Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. Not his body. When your body dies, your body is buried. But your soul goes on, all right? And so it says this man's soul was taken somewhere else, all right? The rich man also died and was buried. And he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. So when a Christian dies, the Bible says that to be uh, depart from this body, to be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. But when a sinner dies, they go into darkness, torment, a place of, of future judgment. They're being reserved. Their souls are being reserved till that day of judgment. Verse 24, the rich man shouted, all right, so he's in this, this place of torment. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Remember, I told you that at some point there will be a cry for mercy from those who rejected God, from those who were evil, from those who did not consider the poor. He cried out to him, all right. Finally, the poor man died. And um, let's see where we were. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. He said, I am. So when you die, you still have a personality. You still have consciousness, okay? He says, I am in anguish in these flames. Verse 25. But Abraham said to him, son, Remember that during your lifetime, remember, oh, I told you that God is watching. He watches the good and he watches the evil. And it says here, but Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, okay, so now the rich man began to be concerned. 
all right? From this place of darkness, this rich man decided that he wanted to be an evangelist now. He wanted to make sure that nobody else came to this place that he was. And he says, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. Say this with me. I must. I must repent of my sins and turn to God. That's what must happen in these bodies. There is no purgatory. There is no second chance. While you have oxygen in your body, while you are hearing the gospel, while you are learning about the way, that is when you say, okay, if I am a sinner, then Lord, I repent. Not only do I not want to go to the place of torment, but Lord, I want to be with you, the one who loves me. Verse 31, but Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded, even if somebody rises from the dead. So he's going to be lost. Those that die without Jesus are lost forever. Then who are the lost? The lost are those who are separated from the Father. And when did this happen? And listen, the way, I'm teaching you this way. Many of you have heard everything I've said before. But the reason I'm teaching you this way is so that you can disciple somebody else. I know, what you, I know that you, many of you have received salvation, but do you know the salvation message so that you can give it to someone? That's what's supposed to be happening at church. You're being equipped with the tools so that you might go out and be used for God and compel people to turn back to God because you are the reconcilers, okay? So where did this happen? When did people begin to be lost? To be lost means to be separated from the Father. Genesis 2, 15 through 17, we know that Adam and Eve were given a command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they did it anyway. And God told them, the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. So their bodies didn't die, but spiritually they were separated from God and they were lost. They were supposed to have eternal life. Did you know people were never born to die? That we were supposed to live forever? But Adam and Eve, our parents, sinned. And because they sinned, death entered into mankindness, all right? And now we are born lost. Because Adam and Eve were evicted from the garden and the way of the tree of life is now guarded, we cannot receive life from, the, from that tree anymore. There has to be another way. Okay, every sin, every person is born lost and into sin, and they must be recovered through salvation back to life. All right, that's very important to remember. Proverbs 14, 12 tells us man's path without God. And it says this, there is a path before every person that seems right, but it ends in death. Do you know how many people out there in this world right now think they're going to heaven because they think they're living a good life? 
They're on a path that seems right. Well, listen, man, I'm not robbing banks, and I'm not doing this, and I'm not doing that. I'm trying to live the best life I can, and I think that when it's all said and done, that I'll go get to be with the big man in the sky. <sighs> no. There's only one way to the Father, and that way is through his son, Jesus Christ. None of us are good enough for heaven. Without Jesus, I don't care if you work somewhere for 30 years and gave every check to the poor, that would still not get you into heaven. Because that does not resolve the sin problem, the sin issue. In order for men to be saved, somebody had to die. Without, the, the, without bleeding, without blood, there could be no remission of sin and Jesus Christ was that gift. So then what is a sinner? 1 John 3, 4 through 6 tells us everyone who sins is breaking God's law. For all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. So then what is the fate of both the lost and the found? Let's go to Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. So every person on earth will either have eternal life or a second death. So the first death is the natural death, okay? But the second death will be defined here. Listen to this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he said, also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty... I will give freely from the springs of water of life. Do you remember the rich man when he was in torment? He said, just let him dip his finger in some water to cool my tongue. I am in such torment. Listen, you never have to reach that place of torment. You can receive life right now. Jesus Christ is willing to save every single one of us. It doesn't matter if you were a murderer, a liar. It doesn't matter if you've got felonies. It doesn't matter no matter what you've done. Jesus Christ. Christ came to this world to wipe away all of our sins, to wash them away. And it wasn't easy. See, see, Jesus didn't come down here and just say a prayer for all of our sins to be gone. That would have been so easy, but he's got that kind of power if he wanted. But instead, they let him, an innocent man, they let him nail him to a cross 
And he was declared guilty for all of our sins. But he was innocent and he remained silent. We've got something to say if someone wants to accuse us of something that we did not do, but not Jesus. He took your sins on his self and was punished and died so that we might have life in him. That is the way that we receive life. It is by believing on Jesus Christ. Let's continue. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, and you do know murder is not just when you kill someone, it's when you hate someone without a cause, okay? The immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now let me ask you, uh, by a show of hands, how many of you have ever sinned before? Every single one of us. So listen to that. So listen to this. Do we want sin's wage or God's gift of life? All right, listen to Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. So I work at the sheriff's office as well, and I get paid every two weeks, all right? So after 80 hours, I'm expecting some payment, or there's going to be some furniture moving, all right? There's going to be some issues, some trouble, right? Because we don't play about our money, do we? You can act like it's just me. You can act like it's just me, but we don't play about our money. If we did the work... We're expecting payment, right? So, so all of you that just raised your hand and said that you sinned before, do you know what the payment is? Death. Death. Man, we're guilty. And not only the physical death that came from Adam's sin, but the second death that came from our own sin. So how do we remedy this? How do we not get paid for what we deserve? The second part of the verse said, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So then, where is God's mercy? You hear it all the time. If God is so loving, then why, do, why does he send people to hell? How many of you have ever heard that before? If God is so loving, why does he send people to hell? Hell, God does not send people to hell. I just told you, hell is payment for sin. For the wages of sin is death. So every sinner, the payment for sin is not only the natural death, but death forever in hell. Listen, everyone will, will, will exist forever. It's just that some of, us, some of us will live forever and some of us will die forever. Can you imagine dying forever? No, no remedy, no chance out, no way out, just dying forever. The Bible even says that there will come a time upon this earth where men will seek to die, but they will not be able to find death. Do you know how blessed you are to have a preacher standing in front of you right now giving you this information? Do you know how blessed you are to be able to receive the truth and, and escape hell? 
because we are all owed it. We are all owed that. But Jesus, now this is love. I would think it was love if someone came to me and said, Damien, I'm going to pay your mortgage for off. I would cut a jig. I've never tried to backflip before, but I think I might be able to pull one off. I would just be so excited that someone paid off my mortgage, but someone paid off your death. You were headed to hell. The wages of sin was death, but God, so merciful, so loving, so kind, gave you the gift of life. And all you've got to do, we don't earn it, because none of us could earn it. None of us are good enough. We can't earn it, but it's freely given if we are to believe by faith. All right. John 3.16. So the question was this. Where is God's mercy? If you're so loving, then why do you send people to hell? Um, just like uh, me being a, a sheriff's deputy, I can't just randomly take people to jail, right? I can't. I, 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 that would be illegal. I would be in jail right next to him, right? I can't randomly take people to jail unless they have committed a crime. And I'm trying to tell you, people don't go to hell just because God wants them to. They go to hell because they've committed a crime. And that crime is called what? Sin. So there must be a remedy for sin. If God is so merciful, and if human beings are born into sin before they even open their eyes, they're sinful, then God, how are you going to fix this? How are you going to fix this? How are you going to rectify this? How are you so loving if we're born into sin? We don't even get to choose from the beginning. We're just sinners. How are you going to fix this, God? John 3.16 says this. For God so loved the world. Right? They say, so if you love us, why do you send people to hell? Here's the truth, though. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, liars, murderers, thieves, every sin that can be named, whosoever would believe on him should not perish. What is, what is, it, what is that perishing? That's the second death. That's dying forever. That's being on fire forever with no remedy, no second chance. You don't, we don't have to go to hell. So the next time someone says to you, if God is so loving, why does he send people to hell? What you say is, you don't have to go to hell. He made a way through his son, Jesus Christ, that if we believe on him and receive the gift of salvation, that we can live forever with him. And that is his desire. Salvation, my friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, salvation is not just being free from the punishment of sin. This is my favorite part right here. It's being free from the power of sin. See, we're born as slaves to sin. We just got to sin. I, I never taught my son how to steal cookies from the cookie jar, right? It's just living on the inside of him. And I say, boy, did you eat a cookie from the cookie jar? No, dad. Chocolate chips all over his face. No, dad. I didn't. So not only, is, did, I, not only did he steal, but he lied too, okay? And I never taught my children how to steal or to lie. Where did that come from? Adam, 
when Adam sinned, it entered all of humanity. So how are we going to remedy this? Listen, just because my son and my kids are pastor's kids don't mean that they get on, on in dad's name. They got to bow their knee to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, would you forgive me of all of my sins? I receive you as Lord. Jesus Christ is the way, and salvation also breaks the power of sin. We used to sin because we had to sin, but once you're saved, you only sin because you want to sin. Do you hear that? We all have the power, once you're saved, to not sin ever again, but we will fall short. We'll fall short today. That waiter is not going to bring them pancakes quick enough at Cracker, 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 Cracker Barrel. And you're going to say something smart on it. These people are just so slow. I'll go back there and do it myself. Right? Unmerciful, ungracious, unkind, unloving, unpatient. Sin. Anything out of the character of Christ, anything outside of faith is sin. So we do it every day. But God is merciful. And we just have to repent and say, Father, and I thank God for the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. So it's not that we got to go around with a sin consciousness and saying, oh, did I sin? Oh, no, did I sin? The Holy Spirit will say, hey, that was wrong. You need to ask for forgiveness, and you need to go tell that person you're sorry. So, so, so go tell Tina at Cracker Barrel you're sorry for your attitude. <laughs> Let's keep going. So we're on this pathway to purpose, right? And we're looking for God's mercy. So Adam and Eve were evicted from the garden. If they would have eaten from the tree of life, they would have lived forever. But that tree of life is now guarded by cherubim with flaming swords. So that even if, even if, um, the, what's his name, uh, did all the adventures? Oh, the Raider of the Lost Ark. Indiana Jones. So even if Indiana Jones found the Garden of Eden, it would be, the tree of life would be guarded and no one could reach it. The tree of life was guarded so no one can reach it. So God had to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden so they wouldn't live forever in this fallen state, all right? So then how do we find our way back to life? John 14, 1 through 6 says this, do not let your heart be troubled. I've been talking about hell a lot and sin a lot, but it's the truth, okay? But God has made a pathway out of this, out of that death. There's a way that seems right, but then there's a whole other way that is right. Listen to this, John 14, 1 through 6. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Father, I pray for those that are listening to the sermon in this room and online. I pray that those that have been convicted of their sin would now be convinced of your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that. I am going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. <clears throat> and you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Brothers and sisters, what I'm here to tell you is the way. 
whether this is your first time hearing it or your thousandth time hearing it. And I'm, I'm giving a charge to you believers. You've got to be able to tell people the way. So everything I just explained to you, you've got to be able to tell to someone else, not as loudly as me, of course, but you're going to have to be able to tell someone else so that you can pull them out of darkness and show them the way to Jesus Christ. So then if there's a way that everybody is on right now and it's the wrong way, then what is the right way? Verse 6 says this, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So here's the problem in this world right now. There's a lot of blind minds out there. It's not that people want to be in sin. It's not that people want to be lost. There, is, there are evil powers working against the minds of people in this world that keep them from being saved, that keep them from seeing God. And it's going to take our prayers and our faithful work to help them see this great light. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 say this, Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from those who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, listen to what he did, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So anytime you hear someone saying, I don't believe in God, or I don't believe in this way, or they just don't know anything about God, don't want to know anything about God, something needs to click in your minds. So your uncle who's refusing to be saved, your cousins, your children, who's just re they're just refusing it. You've got to know that there's evil power working against them. Listen to what the word says. Satan, who is the God of this world, and there's a little G there, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable, not unwilling, but unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Now, do you understand how you got to pray for the lost now? They're not lost because they want to be lost. They're lost because not only are they born into sin, but Satan has blinded their minds from seeing that Jesus Christ is the way. So pray for them in that manner. Verse 5, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves we preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. So then there must be a cry from the lost. So after you hear the gospel, all right, after you hear a message like this, or after you give a message like this, what should the result be? The result should be this. If someone believes the gospel message and in that moment, the Holy Spirit has been working on them to, to peel off the blinders so that they can see here's what should happen in the next moment. I'm going to use this story from Luke chapter 18, verses 35 through 42. It says this, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar, what kind of beggar? Blind. blind. 
Remember what I told you about the people in this world. It's not that they want to be lost. It's not that they don't want to believe in Jesus. But the little G, God of this world, Satan, has blinded their minds so that they cannot see. They are blind. What are they? Blind. So listen to this story. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard, what did he do? He heard something. He heard the noise of a crowd going past. He asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus, the Nazarene, was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So it's the same thing that should happen as we witness the gospel to the blind. When it's their time and when the Holy Spirit has removed the veil, removed the blinders from their eyes, they should cry out to this Jesus because nobody in the world should want to go to hell forever. It doesn't make any sense at all that if you got a choice between heaven and hell, that you'd pick hell. So who is picking hell? Who are these people going by the masses to hell? It's those that have either rejected God or those with blinders on. That's why our work is so important. That's why I'm not content anymore with you just coming to this church and me just preaching to you. I've got to prepare you to win the lost out there. You've got to know how to be a disciple maker because every single day people die and go to hell. But I say not on your watch, not your neighbors, not your coworkers, not your family. And I know that maybe God won't give those specific people to us but what if this what if we are faithful to win someone else's cousin win someone else's loved one then maybe God will have mercy upon our loved ones and someone who can reach them will reach them church is not just about coming in here and taking a spiritual shower and saying oh I feel good now because I went to church church is to equip you with the power of the Holy Spirit and the message of the gospel that you might be out be willing to go just as he has sent us to the lost and recover them. I asked God a question one time and I said, God, and, and, and if you're real with me, you won't judge me and you'll judge your own heart. I said, God, why don't I care about sinners as much as you do? I mean, just to know that somebody's going to hell and do nothing about it. To know that your coworker's going, your, your neighbor's going, and just walk right by them, talk about new sandwiches, talk about the game, talk about all this stuff, and know that they don't know. And I was like, God, what is all that about? He said, he says, you need a new heart. You need a new heart. We don't love like how he loves. If we loved how he loved, then we would be willing to at least say something. He died for sinners, and all he's asking us to do is pass on the message. Would you please tell other people for me that I died for their sins so that they don't have to be lost? But maybe one of our own problems is this. Have we even experienced salvation? Are we really even saved? Or are we just going through religious motions? We've got to ask ourselves that. So as this man cries out to Jesus, verse 39, it says that they told him to be quiet. The people in front of him yelled, but he shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, 
he stopped and ordered that man to be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. So when a sinner comes to God for salvation, it means, number one, their blinder has been removed. How is that? Because now I see, oh, hallelujah. Now I see who Jesus is. The blinder is gone. He's not just some historical figure from the past. He's not just the, uh, a person that people wear on their necklace. Jesus really is the son of God. Jesus really is the savior of the world. And when you see Jesus for who he is, you'll say, Jesus, save me. Just like this blind man cried out for his vision. Romans 10 and 17, uh, verses 1 through 17, begin us to tell us the message, the good news. And I'm going to start at verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It's not, it's not oh, if I could just stop cussing, then I'll be saved. Or if I could just stop this drinking or, or these drugs, then I'll be okay. If I could just treat people nicer, then maybe God will receive me. No, the only way of salvation is to openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And it says you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Church, are you going around openly declaring your faith? I'm going to pretend that moment wasn't quiet. And this is something that we have to do. I mean, everybody else is bold. There's 58 genders and there's this and there's that and there's, I mean, they are so loud. But where's the truth? Why is the truth the quietest thing out there? Because we're quiet. The message comes from us. So we have to be bold and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. Verse 11, as scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Verse 14 says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? So let's just say that blind man on the road of sitting on the side of the road of Jericho heard the commotion and asked what was going on, but nobody told him who it was he would have still been blind. He would have still been blind. But since he heard it was Jesus, and obviously he had heard what Jesus could do, he said, have mercy on me, and he was given his sight. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. 
For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing. That is, hearing the good news about Christ. Did you know that when you tell people about the good news of Christ, that faith can come upon them? So we're thinking, oh, this wino, he, he don't know anything about the Bible. He's not going to believe anything. But faith comes by hearing. Oh, my goodness. We've been quiet because we thought they knew already or we, we, we judged them to not have any faith. But did you know, but by you sharing the message about Jesus, that faith will be delivered to them? Amen? So God's patience is how I want to wrap this up today. God's patience. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 15 say this. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers or disbelievers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires or way. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. My great-grandmother lived to be over 100 years old, and she was saved, and she was looking for the return of Jesus Christ. She told the good news. She shared the good news. My grandmother lived to be 97 years old. She told people about Jesus Christ. He's still not back yet, though. She was a minister of the gospel. My father lived to be 70 years old. He told people about Jesus Christ. He was a messenger for the Lord. Still, Jesus hasn't come back yet. Here I am. I'm not going to tell you my age. What's it 45 years old. And I've been telling people about Jesus Christ for 18 years in the ministry. But still, Jesus hasn't come yet. So are we all lying? What is happening then? Where is this Jesus that we've been talking about for generations? Why hasn't he come back yet? Verse 5, they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like one day. So in God's timing, Jesus has really only been gone from the earth for two days. Just a little bit over two days. I'll break that down for you again. In the timing of God, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is just like one day. So why is God so slow? What's going on? The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. 
He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So the next time someone says to you, why does God send people to hell? You send them right to this scripture and say, no, no, no. It's not his desire that anyone should perish. He's being very patient with this world. This world is infinity times more evil than it was in the days of Noah. And he destroyed the world at that time. So all he's doing right now is just being patient and giving time for people to repent. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live? Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, Make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. What does his patience give us? Time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Please stand. So I asked you all to stand and for the most part the majority of you just stood and I'm just a man right I'm just a man but you honored and respected me enough to stand as a man and I don't have any power I can't help you I can preach the gospel to you but I can't do it for you but I asked you to stand and you stood so God is also asking you to choose life. He said, I set before you life and death. Choose life. Why would we ever choose sin? I'll tell you why people choose sin. Because sin is fun. Oh, it's so exciting. I get to do what I want to do. Have a good time. Uh, um, and nothing ever happens to me. Got drunk last week and didn't die. I'm going to do it all again. Because we think we just got all this time. But listen, time is not for sin. Time is for repentance. Time is so that you might say, you know what? Like I did many years ago, living in Columbus, Ohio, getting drunk out of my mind and stumbling into the bathroom and looking into the mirror, into the eyes of that inebriated and drunk, intoxicated man and saying, who are you? I was raised better than this. What, what am I doing with my life? Because I was choosing death. I was looking at a dying man in that mirror. I hit the wall. I pray to God that every one of you running from God, you hit the wall and say, you know what? This is not the way to go. I can't keep living this way. And now you've all heard the gospel. And you've got a chance to respond to the gospel. Father, I pray 
not only for those who already have salvation, but especially for those who don't. But I come back around to pray for those who do have salvation. And I pray that this message would weigh heavy on their hearts for the rest of their lives. Not as guilt, not as condemnation, but as the work they've been called to do. Messengers of the good news. Messengers of who saves us from our sins and even the power of sin. Father, I pray that this church will become a mighty, mighty outpost of disciples. I pray that you would fill this church with not only disciples, but disciple makers as well. People who are bold to tell the truth, to look people in their eyes and say, listen, if you die like this, you will be lost forever. But there is a way out. And his name is Jesus. God, give this church boldness. May we not have any fear. For you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. I pray for the salvation of everyone in this room and everyone watching online right now. Lord, if there are any blinders on any eyes right now that the devil has placed upon them so that they may not see who Jesus is. Holy Spirit, would you do a great work in our midst right now and begin to allow blinders to fall off of their eyes and their ears and their minds. Listen to me now. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus Christ came to take away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of Satan. Jesus Christ is real. He walked this earth in the flesh for 33 years. And then he was sentenced to die on a cross for nothing that he did, but for everything that we have done. He hung on that cross. He didn't die instantly there. He hung for hours on that cross. They made fun of him. They mocked him. If you're the son of God, then save yourself. In his mind, he was probably thinking, but I'm here to save you. If I come down, you will be lost. They mocked him. They spit on him. They punched him. They sold his clothes. But what did he say? Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was even asking for your forgiveness as we were actively sinning against him. That's love. He died for our sins. He took the death that we were owed. And all we have to do is receive it. Well, he died on that cross, 
And to make sure that he was dead, they came up to him and they took a sword, a spear rather, and they pierced him in his side. And the Bible says that water began to gush out. What is this water? Remember the man that was in torment that said, can, they just, can, can you just dip your finger in water so that I might have some relief from these flames? Do you not understand that the water that came out from Jesus was the cleansing power to be able to save us from all going to that place of torment? His blood was shed for us that we might be saved. He died on that cross. He hung his head and he died. The Savior of the world, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, died. And they took him down from that cross and they put him in a tomb. Because that's where dead people go, they must be buried. So Jesus really did die. You don't bury people who are alive, you bury people who are dead. So Jesus died on that cross and they put him in the tomb and they sealed it with a rock and that's where he, his body laid for three days. But all the while, his spirit was obtaining the victory for us. His spirit was obtaining the victory for us and three days later, the Bible says that Jesus rose from the dead. Now listen to me. This account of Jesus coming to this earth is outside of the Bible as well. Did you know that? That there are historical books written from those times that they talk about this Jesus. So not only is it rec he recognized in the word of God, but even in history, He's recognized. He's real. And he's our only way to life. Father, I have given them the gospel. Some of them already believe and they are saved. Now they are charged with taking the gospel, the good news to the lost. But Father, there might be some people in here right now who if they died today, they would go to that place of torment and they have just heard that you don't send them there. Sin sends them there. But you have given us a precious gift of life through Jesus Christ if we would only receive him. So God, is there anyone today that today will be their day of salvation? Is there anyone in this room today, God, that you desire to save from the flames of an eternity without you and you have opened up their eyes to see that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, 